Thanks, Dave. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, so good to see you all again this morning. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, keep them open. Otherwise, uh, the passages that we look at will be kind of flicked up. We actually are taking a bit of a, ta- a different tact with our uh, series on Proverbs, in particular living wisely in 2021, as we've kind of reflected on the bigger picture of wisdom. Over the last couple of weeks, we're honing in on a couple of little uh, places in which we see wisdom lived out. So why don't we pray and ask God to help us as we look at his word together this morning. Gracious God, we thank you that you are a God who is jealous for us. We thank you that you love us. You desire us to be in relationship with yourself. You are generous and kind and good in everything that you do. Please help us to uh, hear you speak to us in your word this morning and to open our hearts that we might hear what you have to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, uh, the experts tell us that almost everyone experiences a visit from jealousy, the kind of uh, nasty green-eyed monster, at some point in their lives. And that kind of got me thinking uh, as I was preparing this talk, when have I been jealous? Uh, what are the things that make me jealous? Am I the jealous type? Now, fortunately for me, I stumbled across a way to answer that question. Uh, I found a jealousy test on one of those kind of health websites that I looked at, and the test actually asks you a number of questions with a a a variety of responses that you are to select from. Once you've filled in your responses, it calculates the results of your jealousy test, giving you a score between naught and 100. Uh, This particular test actually focused on your relationship with your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend to see how jealousy affected you there. And I scored 28 out of 100. I thought I'd failed. But then I realised that naught meant you you weren't jealous at all, uh, ever. And so 100 then meant that you were the incarnation of the green-eyed monster. So all in all, I thought I'd done pretty well. I wasn't that jealous. 28 out of 100 was okay. But then they had a paragraph entitled, What Does Your Score Mean? That wasn't so encouraging. Let me just give you the summary, if I can. Now, first, it actually told me that I fit right into the category of those who are afraid that their loved one could leave them for someone else. But then I'm told, that's okay, because I don't really care. (laughs) It's not true, just in case you're wondering. If it happens, I'll survive with my self-esteem and dignity intact. Why? Well, because she's not the only fish in the sea and I'll be able to find happiness with someone else. (laughs) I am such a nice guy, really. And that makes me a strong and secure man, it said. What rubbish, right? But it made me curious, is that what all secular advice is like? And so I decided to dig a little further and see what other information is out there about jealousy. Uh, And sadly, what I found is that there is a lot of really unhelpful advice written on this issue. So some, for example, say that jealousy is just a terrible thing that society has inflicted on us. So it's a learned behaviour, not something that comes naturally to us. Now, I thought we'll tell that to the two-year-old who regularly demands to sit on mum or dad's knee right when they're nursing their baby brother. I mean, who taught them to do that? At the other end of the spectrum was the view that jealousy is actually a good thing because it can spice up your love life and make things a little more romantic and interesting. Now, as sad as those kinds of views are, 
The issue that most commentators ultimately did agree on is that, except perhaps that last group, is that jealousy is a destructive emotion. It's a terrible thing. It churns the inside of the jealous person. It hurts others who are in their firing line. And at this point, most commentators agree with what the Bible has always said. Jealousy is destructive. That's the idea we see in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4. And it links with the two ways to live that we saw last week, the way of wisdom or the way of folly. At one level, jealousy is just one characteristic of the way of folly. Now let's just have a look at one example of jealousy right at the beginning of the Bible. Um, I'm going to have this up on the screen for you. But in Genesis, we read uh, about Adam and Eve's son, Cain and Abel. Let me read to you. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And jealousy is a destructive emotion. <clears throat> and the warning that you need about jealousy is this, is that it steals away your life. It ruins relationships. It destroys joy and peace. It moves in subtly and slowly, and it can take over like a thief in the night if you're not careful. And there are numerous examples in the Bible Jealousy is totally ruthless and uncaring. And so it's a common motive for murder and cruelty and lays at the root of the actions of Cain against his brother Abel that we've just read, who are Adam and Eve's sons. Have you ever really grasped the startling ruthlessness that we're actually capable of when this sin is entertained in our hearts? I mean, these brothers lived in perhaps a comparatively sin-free world as part of the first family, more than likely, they cared for each other, but one murdered the other because of jealousy. See, men are frequently tempted by the lust for honour and recognition. And God honoured Abel because his offering was good and pleasing to him. Cain's offering, for whatever reason that we're not told, was not good and not pleasing to God, and he wasn't honoured. And yet a loving heavenly father counselled Cain to avoid the sin that was welling up within him. And yet he still chose to destroy his brother to satisfy the passion of his jealous soul. Now, the Hebrew word for jealousy is quinah, meaning a, a deep emotional desire. <clears throat> Never underestimate the power of this particular sin when it is unrestrained in our own hearts. I mean, we may not stoop to murder, but are we character assassins? Do we destroy the good name of another person or do we 
you know, use innuendo or accusation to draw people down. Give credit where credit is due because in the end, envy and jealousy is the enemy of honesty. Another example of jealousy cruelly tearing brothers apart is the story of Joseph and his brothers in Genesis chapter 37 verses 1 to 11. You might remember the story of Joseph and his brothers. I'm not going to go into it now. I mean, jealousy is another one. Also figures in the story of King David and King Saul in 1 Samuel. King Saul, the first of Israel's kings, loves David. But as David is increasingly recognized by Israel as greater than Saul himself, then Saul's love turns to jealousy and vindictive hatred towards David, so much so that he attempts, makes multiple attempts to kill David. It even ruined Saul's relationship with his own children because they, he couldn't tolerate that they cared for David. But it's just not men who are affected by jealousy. We see it actually in the story of Rachel and Leah in Genesis chapter 30, two sisters miserably competing for the acceptance and security of one man. And the Bible says to us, do you know what's worse than anger? Jealousy. That's what it says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4. Now, let me read it for you there. Wrath is cruel and anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? It's a destructive emotion at its worst. But just in case you think you mustn't ever be jealous because you haven't killed anyone yet, or you haven't even thought about it, well, sometimes our jealousy is obviously expressed in different ways, again, which we see in the scriptures. It can be expressed in hurt or sadness, in anxiety, fear, or annoyance, maybe in paranoia or self-doubt or even self-pity, perhaps in anger or bitterness. And yet, however it expresses itself, however our hearts express this, this uh, emotion of jealousy, it will cause an inner sense of turmoil and uncontrollable desire for something that we don't have or something that we want to keep hold of. And so the question is, why do we get jealous? Now, I'm sure you can think of, of your own reasons, but before we think about that question, let, let me just say something about the definitions of jealousy and envy. Uh, mostly, the reason why, because mostly they're just used interchangeably. Even the dictionary definition of them both at one level are basically the same. So, for example, uh, here's an example of one di dictionary definition. It says, uh, it's a feeling of discontent or mortification, usually with ill will, at seeing another's superiority, advantages or success. However, there is another further meaning of jealousy that involves something that you have, like a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse, being taken away or being threatened by someone else. And we'll touch on that kind of jealousy a bit later, but for the moment we're thinking about the first definition, which is very much the same as envy. Uh, so why do we get jealous? Well, the letter in the New Testament written, to, uh, written by James, I think, helps us understand why. Uh, have a look again at James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says there, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The reason I get jealous is because I don't get what I want, or I don't have or achieve all that I desire. And so I'm jealous or envious of those who do have what I want whether it's a possession or a person or a privilege or a position. And if that's you, 
Perhaps you're fighting or quarrelling with someone because of it. Perhaps you have feelings even of hatred towards someone. And if that's you, Proverbs would say that you're walking the path of the fool. You're dining with woman folly. Uh, A little while back, I asked a group of Christians that I was leading uh, in something. I asked them to write down the thing that made them most prone to jealous feelings. Here are some of the things that they actually said. Uh, They said seeing others who were more talented than them at certain things like academically or sport or relating, for example. Uh, Or seeing others who were confident enough to have a go at something that they weren't confident enough to have a go at. Or seeing others being able to travel overseas and have good holidays every year. Uh, Or perhaps working really particularly hard on a project only to have someone take it over at the last minute and take all the credit for your work. Or seeing others progress in their jobs while personally feeling stagnant. Seeing your friends that you were once on a par with getting ahead through some kind of good fortune. Or people with happy marriages and families and living in comfort. Or really liking a member of the opposite sex who seems more interested in somebody else. Or when a spouse smiles nicely at a member of the opposite sex. I mean, others said that they found it hard to see... um, Christians getting more and more materially wealthy while ministries were suffering for want of finances. And some were envious at how other Christians seemed to be growing and contented and cheerful and faithfully serving others in their Christian lives when they so often struggled. Or even feeling jealous about other people's ministry gifts. It's a danger, isn't it? For, it's actually a danger for many Christian leaders. They hear of the great work that God is doing through the ministry of others. And on the one hand, they want to give thanks for that. But on the other, they feel a tinge of jealousy that it's not their ministry that others are giving thanks for and talking about. There's an irony, isn't there, in in being jealous about other, other people's Christians' gifts. Because God gives us gifts to build up the church. But sometimes we want them to build ourselves up. And the important distinction is that God gifts the church, not the individual. And often the individual is the gift to the church. That's what we read in chapter 4, verse 11 of Ephesians. And so we should be thankful for them and not envy them. You know, we saw before in the letter of James that the reason we get jealous is because we don't get what we want or we don't have or achieve all we desire. And so we're jealous or envious of those who do have what we want. And no matter what the world calls it, the Bible calls jealousy sin. It's recorded in the the lists of vices that the Bible says will keep people out of the kingdom of God. The question is, how do I deal with jealousy? What is behind our sinful, jealous desires? Why do we feel the need to desire what others have and to be discontent with what God has given us? Well, let me suggest two things. Firstly, friendship with the world, according to James chapter 4, verse 4. And secondly, pride, which we read in Proverbs 27, verses 1 and 2, and James 4, verse 6 and 13 and following. Now, I'm not suggesting that these are the only things behind our temptation to jealousy, but they are the indicators in our two texts, key texts today. Now, let's have a quick look first at the problem of being friends with the world. Let me pick it up from verse 4 of chapter 4 in James. He says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Uh, look what James calls these Christians. He calls them, you adulterous people. Uh, James doesn't hold back, does he? Uh, they're supposed to be in a committed relationship with God. God had committed himself to them. He had rescued them. He had loved them. He, they had access to all the riches of God himself. But that's not enough for them. It's a little bit like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden right at the very beginning of creation. And God forms them himself. They have an intimate relationship with God. He places them in, places them in the most beautiful of places with everything they could ever want. And he places them in positions of great honour in his universe. Everything they have has been given graciously to them by him. They have everything they could ever want. There's only one thing that they can't have. And it's the one thing that will harm them. They are unable to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they can't keep their hands off it. And it destroys all they had. See, the Christians that James writes to were like that. They were committing spiritual adultery. They weren't content in their relationship with God and all the good things that were theirs because of that relationship. They were unfaithful. They were flirting with the world. They were focused on others and their prosperity. And the danger is that we can be like them. We see others with their homes, their cars, their overseas trips, their happy families, their success, and we say, I want that. I want what the world has to offer me. But why? Why is it that we have so much around us every day, really great stuff, but all we can see is the thing that we don't have? Proverbs actually calls it folly, foolishness. Well, the second thing that is behind our sinful, jealous desires is pride. Now, that's probably the point, I think, of the first two verses of Proverbs 27. Uh, let me just pick it up from verse 1 of 27. He says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. You see, it's, it's the proud and the arrogant who make great boasts about what they will be or achieve. It's the proud and the arrogant who sing their own praises. They want to be noticed. They want to be thought well of. They're fools because they fail to recognise that only God has, has any particular control over any particular day. See, people who are proud or arrogant want to be admired by others rather than God. And when it doesn't happen, often a seething resentment and jealousy takes root in their hearts. They can respond with kindness to another person's failure because it only boosts their ego. But when a rival is praised, well, it doesn't sit so well with pride. Uh, Oscar Wilde made the, uh, that observation some time ago when he said this, and I think it's on the screen, anybody can sympathise with the sufferings of a friend, but it requires a very fine nature to sympathise with a friend's success. See, pride is the underlying dynamic of envy, jealousy, anger, bitterness. And wherever we find jealousy, we find the wreckage of human and sometimes, very sadly, even Christian community. So how do I deal with envy and jealousy? Well, we need to turn again to the letter of James because he tells us how. Have a look at James chapter 4, verse 6. 
but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. See, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we're proud, God himself opposes us. If you will humble yourself before him, he will be gracious to you and he will exalt you. How much better to be exalted by God than by man? To be humble is to see ourselves as we truly are, sinners before a holy and mighty God. We don't even deserve to live. Your next breath should be drawn with gratitude to God for his mercy towards you. Jealousy is so often rooted in self-righteousness. And so we need to go back to the cross. And as 1 Peter chapter 5 says, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. You see, when we go back to the cross, what we see is we see Jesus himself. We see the creator and the owner of the entire universe humble himself for us. We are more important to Jesus than the whole world. Here is where we see that other rare form of jealousy because the Bible actually tells us that God himself is a jealous God. He is not jealous in the ways that we so often are, in the sinful, destructive ways that we recognise. But God made us. He loves us. He has given himself to us and everything that we have. We belong to him. And yet humanity as a whole has turned their backs on God like an adulterous spouse. And as a loving and generous and caring spouse, God is rightly jealous for us. And he's jealous for our good. Our foolish sinfulness, our self-centeredness, our pride, our jealousy deserves God's judgment but in love and humility Jesus gives up his position he gives up his rights he gives up his life by dying on the cross at the hands of jealous and sinful men and women and he did it so as to pay the penalty for our sin to give us what we can never lose forgiveness of sin eternal life hope of relationship with God forever. Relationship to the full, life to the full. And so this morning as we reflect on this particular issue, we need to reflect more broadly, don't we? We need to reflect on God himself, but we need to examine our own hearts. And if we find even a hint of friendship with the world, even a hint of pride, even a hint of envy or jealousy, then let us confess our sin to God. Let's acknowledge our folly, our foolishness, our wrong thinking, our sin. See, confession actually requires humility. You've got to humble yourself to admit that you're wrong, don't you? That's one of the purposes of confession, to humble us so that we might gain our sanity again. Confession is an act of humility, and it produces humility which in turn helps us to think rightly. 
If we draw near to God, as James says that we should, then we'll realise that there's no need for selfish desires because God himself is our possession and God himself is all that we need. And so this morning, before I lead us together in prayer, I just want to give you a moment just to reflect on the God that loves you, the God who has made you, who has given you everything you have, the God who is has given you his son, the Lord Jesus, to die in your place to restore your relationship with him. The wise person, he is God's call to humble ourselves before him, to repent, that is to turn back to God, and to rest in Christ's salvation. So let me just give you 30 seconds to reflect and in the quietness of your own heart, pray and give him thanks and confess your sins to him before I lead us together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. That you are slow to anger and abounding in love for all that you have made. Thank you that you love us. And thank you that you don't give up on us. Even as we turn our backs on you and in our sinful rebellion head off on our own direction. Seeking the things of this world and giving no attention to you. Forgive us our sin, Father, for the times that we think that we are in control and that we think that we can run our lives our own way. Forgive us, Lord God, for ignoring you and not even taking time at times to reflect on your goodness to us and all that you have done. Thank you that in Jesus Christ we have great joy Thank you, Lord God, that he died on the cross for our sin, that he made us friends with you again. Thank you that we can have our sins forgiven if we haven't yet done that, that we can come to you today confessing our sins, humbly acknowledging our own hearts, our own failures, knowing that you freely and graciously forgive us. Forgive us for our pride pride that thinks that we don't need you, the pride that thinks that we, are, uh, we have all that we want on our own or we can get what we want on our own, but so often ends up in failing to get what we want and therefore leading us to, to our envy and to jealousy and to bitterness and to anger. And so we ask that you would forgive us, but fill us with the joy of knowing how much you love us. Fill us with the joy of knowing forgiveness of sins. Fill us with the joy of knowing what it means to be in a relationship with the God of the world. And help us to rejoice in that fact. We thank you that you are a good and loving God and that we can rejoice in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.